so long. It has. It's almost two months. I think so. It feels good to be back. Yes, it feels really good to be back and kicking off our season three. I can't believe we're at season three. Yeah, time has flown. We're at almost a year since we released our first episodes. That's actually right. It has been almost a year. A crazy year, but a year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was setting my stuff up and I was like, I forgot how to do this. Like, it's been so long. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been up to the last two months? Oh my God, I feel like I've been up to a lot, but also at the same time, not that much. (laughs) (laughs) I watched a whole lot of TV. I watched The Queen's Gambit, which I became fully engrossed in. It's so good. Did you watch it? I've seen the first couple episodes, but it is so engaging. The clothes are beautiful. The show is so good. It's just so engaging. When you made that point about the beautiful outfits, another show where I was just absolutely captivated by the outfits was Mrs. Maisel. Uh, Seen that one? Yes, that costuming is also incredible. Beautiful. So good. How have you been? What have you been up to? I've been good. I've been engaged in a lot of activity. Let me say that again. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why so formal? (laughs) Let's see. I have been getting into activities that have been testing my patience. (laughs) Oh. Have you ever done paint by numbers? Oh, God. Not for a long time, but I'm sweating thinking about it. Oh, God. So I got this like very complicated. I've never done it before. So I saw this kit at Michael's and I was like, okay, this will be a good quarantine activity. We'll keep it out in the living room. (laughs) Everyone from the family will just come by and eventually just sit down and paint a little bit. And I did not read the side of this paint by numbers box. And in small font, it says challenging. Oh, and is challenging. These dots are tiny. For those of you who don't know, paint by numbers is basically a big painting split up into teeny tiny shapes, and each one is numbered corresponding to the paint that you should be using. So they'll give you a kit of 30 paints numbered 1 through 30, and then on this plain canvas, they have the outlines for you, and inside each outline, they have the number corresponding to the paint that you should use. And you went for hard mode right off the bat. I did, and I always, every single day, I'll like sit down and I'll be so excited to do it. I'll usually have a cup of coffee in my hand, ready to go. And literally 15 minutes later, I'm over it. (laughs) And I keep, it's like a pattern. Like I just keep doing this. It's like, you think I would have learned by now. Oh man, I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's one of those things you're like, I thought it would be fun, but it's been six hours. Like I'm exhausted. (laughs) I'm confused. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My back hurts. My hands hurt. (laughs) Yeah, I do not feel relaxed, but yet I refuse to give up. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that very deeply. Very deeply. Okay, do you want to introduce this week's topic since it was your idea? I would love to, Anna. So everyone, our topic for this week is parabolic flights, aka zero-g flights, aka vomit comets. (laughs) This is a good one. This is a good idea, Hannah. Thanks, Anna. I don't even remember how the idea came to me, but I figured it would be a great way for us to, you know, talk about how they work, give a bit of history on them. It was one of the things that I weirdly just accepted existing. I was like, yeah, yeah, those exist. Like, I never thought about who came up with it or anything. 
Right. And the research gave me an appreciation for them, you know, like completely. This is really cool that we have these. It is really cool. All right. You want to introduce ourselves and then we'll get to the good part. Yes, let's do it. So I'm Henna. And I'm Anna. And this is But But It it Is is Rocket Science. Science. Ooh, that felt good. Yes. It's been so long. All right, Henna, please provide us with a technical description of the Vomit Comet. Can do. I remember when I was growing up, my friends and I would watch videos of astronauts. You know those videos where they're floating around gracefully around their spaceships and the astronauts have this open pack of M&Ms and they're surrounded by this beautiful, colorful node matrix of M&Ms? Yes, yes. Or the, and then like I like when the women take their hair down so their hair is all over the place. Yeah. I guess men could do it too. <laughs> Absolutely. But yes, exactly. Those classic videos. Yep. But if you're here on Earth, you open a pack of M&Ms, they're just going to spill to the ground. Like you're not going to be surrounded by this beautiful blanket of M&Ms. I'd probably still eat them. But yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. Let's be real. I remember watching these videos with so much joy and awe. Because it felt like space was the only place you could achieve this feeling of weightlessness where you could float around. However, that is not the case, hence our topic. You can experience the feeling of weightlessness on Earth and for a little bit longer than what you would feel on the top of a roller coaster. And this is through parabolic flights. Let's get into a few terms here before we dive into how exactly these parabolic flights work. First, let's talk about weightlessness. What is weight? When you are standing on the surface of Earth, your weight is defined by your mass under Earth's force of gravity that is pulling you to the surface. Mass is the matter, that substance that takes up volume, that you are made of. This includes all the atoms, the molecules, the compounds your body is made of. Yeah, so if you've ever taken a physics class in high school, like I feel like this is one of the first things they teach you. Yes, yep. Your mass is the same everywhere. Your weight is not. Right. Any planet you go to, your mass will be the same. But because each planet has a different force of gravity, your weight will be different because weight is mass times gravity. Yep. I get flashbacks to high school physics. (laughs) Yeah. You could not make that mistake. You would get in trouble. (laughs) Exactly. Going along these lines, if Earth's force of gravity was stronger, you would feel heavier. And if it was less, you would feel lighter. What is weightlessness? That term, weightlessness, is used to describe a feeling that you are unable to feel gravity. On Earth's surface, you feel the ground under your feet, giving you a sense of weight. But if you remove that ground, you would feel weightless. Astronauts in the ISS feel weightlessness, but technically they are still under the influence of Earth's gravity. They are in free fall. However, the reason the ISS stays in orbit is because it has a forward velocity, but also because it has gravity pulling on it and keeping it in orbit. Exactly. We actually talk about this a little bit in the episode we did on gravitational slingshots, kind of just talks a little bit more of the physics of orbiting. Yes. Check that episode out. It's episode 19. Getting back to it. Now we understand a few terms. So let's get into the physics behind parabolic flights. To start off, Let's think about an airplane. An airplane has four forces acting on it when it is flying. It has lift, created by the surface area of the airplane wings over the blanket of air molecules. Think about a parachute. The lift in a parachute is the air pushing against the fabric in the up direction. 
Same deal with enormous airplane wings. The size, shape, and configuration of the wings determines the amount of lift you get. The second force acting on an airplane is drag, which comes from air resistance. Think about running on a windy day and the wind is pushing against you. It's harder to run, right? Well, that's drag from the air molecules pushing against you, and it matters. It does matter. It can actually, like, for some airplanes, if you have a headwind or a tailwind, it can determine how quickly you get there and how much fuel you use. Yep, exactly. Then you also have thrust from the airplane's giant engines pushing you forward. And then we have weight, which we already discussed, which is from the gravity pulling down the massive airplane. Imagine you have a picture of an airplane in front of you with the nose of the airplane pointing to the right. So now you would draw the up arrow on this picture for lift, the down arrow for weight, an arrow to the right for thrust, and an arrow pointing to the left for drag. We got a free body diagram. <laughs> That's right. Whenever you hear the term free body diagram, for anyone who's gone through physics classes, it's all about just drawing arrows of the forces. Okay, just to reiterate this, the arrow up is lift because it's pushing you up. Mm -hmm. The arrow down is gravity or weight because it's pulling you down. Mm -hmm. The right arrow, because that's the way your plane is going, is thrust. Correct. And then the left arrow is drag because it's working against the plane trying to go forward. You got it. Nice. I'm going to get an A on this test. Heck yeah. All right. So in order for astronauts to feel weightlessness, they only feel gravity acting on them. For this to work in an airplane, the pilots will adjust the thrust and the angles of the spacecraft to cancel out the lift and drag and thrust such that the passengers are only subject to gravity. They don't eliminate the thrust. The airplane is still, it still has thrust. It's not gliding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not just gliding. They're throttling the thrust such that it matches the drag and the lift. All those forces essentially are canceled out, and the only thing you have acting on the airplane and its passengers is gravity. At this moment, they experience free fall. When does this happen? A parabolic flight, just like the name says, is an airplane that makes parabolic motions and will undergo 20 to 30 parabolas. I'm just thinking, like, you know when you throw a ball? I'm going to talk about physics a lot. Yeah. In high school physics, if you did that problem where you had a ball and you threw it up and it made a parabola, at the very top of that parabola, the velocity would be zero. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on here, but on a much more complicated scale. Exactly. Right at the top of the parabola, they will feel that weightlessness for about 20 to 25 seconds. That's longer than I thought it was. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I've been in a parabolic flight for research before. That top of the parabola is very incredible. I remember feeling very confused because it felt like everything was falling, but then it didn't look like it was falling. Yeah. The entire airplane was padded. And do they block out the windows so you can't see outside? Exactly. They blocked out all the windows so I couldn't see outside. It felt like everything was falling, but I didn't visually see things falling in front of me. And it's because the airplane and you are falling at the same time. That's cool. So I've never done it. I want to, though. Do they give you a couple of test parabolas to get used to it before you just hop right into your experiment? Yes. I remember the first parabola, I just stayed strapped down. Gotcha. That makes sense to get used to it. Mm-hmm. And actually, for a lot of the parabolas, I stayed strapped down because I was the one recording data on our laptop. 
But at the end, I was able to float around and that was pretty cool. That's awesome. It sounds really fun. I was not very graceful. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would be either. That's awesome. Maybe Zero-G will take us on a flight someday. (laughs) Hit us up, Zero-G. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. Um, Hannah just has anyways, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) Anna and I, both Anna and I are guilty of this, even though Anna's calling me out, where in our notes, we just have like random thoughts just like vomited onto the notes, onto the like pages. (laughs) Yeah, I'm making fun of Hannah for it, but I'm so much worse than she is. Half of my notes are just like stream of consciousness. <laughs> exactly. It's it is a stream of consciousness. It's like obviously I was like in the zone when I was typing these and I was having a conversation with myself. Oh, uh, yeah, completely. <laughs> like if anybody else were to read these, it'd be like, "Is she okay?" <laughs> uh, Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully I am. I like you the way you are, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anna. <laughs> I appreciate it. Let's move past this bullet point anyways, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Before reaching the top of the parabola and after, the pilots will be ascending and descending the plane. During these moments of ascending and descending, passengers will feel as if there is more than one G being applied to them. Whenever you draw free body diagrams, you will take into account the components of forces. So a force will have an X and Y component. Yeah. When you are ascending or descending the plane, you're going to have added components in the Y direction to your gravity. The passengers will feel heavier than they are because they'll get components of thrust and drag added in the Y direction to the gravity. So it'll be more than one G. If you are just standing on the ground, like I'm imagining you are while listening to this, I guess you could be in an airplane, you will experience Mm -hmm. one G. That is gravity. Mm-hmm. That is like 9.81 meters per second squared. That is a G. What happens when you're flying in this plane, you're not just getting forces straight down. You're flying forward. Mm-hmm. Because of that, that ends up factored into how many Gs you feel like you're experiencing. Right. And going back to weight, weight is mass times gravity. Your mass is staying the mm-hmm. same, but your Gs are more than 1g. It might be 1.8g, it will might be 2g. Multiply by that by the mass, you will feel heavier in these moments because your weight has increased. That's such a weird thing. I've never thought about it, but because you have that extra amount of force acting on you, even though mm-hmm. you look weightless, you probably do feel heavier. Yeah. That's cool. It's pretty crazy. That's what I have for the technical description of how 0g planes work. Man, you don't even have to take physics. Just listen to this episode. <laughs> please take physics. Yeah, please do that. Physics is a very important topic. Please attend your classes. If you're a physics teacher, please... <laughs> please don't hate us. <laughs> do not send us hate mail. <laughs> like... <laughs> we respect you. You have a very hard job. Okay. <laughs> I am going to talk about the history, but do you want to take a little break first? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll be back in a minute. back everyone we're back anna i'm so excited to hear about the history thank you i had a lot of fun researching it but just in case anybody was wondering i ate dinner before we recorded today so i did not preheat my oven oh so it's not gonna go ding 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 it's not gonna go ding (laughs) ding ding 
I know, that was really important you all cared. <laughs> Into the content you signed up for, the history of zero-G flights. Again, I had actually never thought about this. <laughs> and while trying to dig up the history of reduced gravity aircraft, I couldn't find a whole lot, but this is what I got. Let's hear it. The idea for the use of parabolic flight as a way to simulate weightlessness was first proposed by aerospace engineer Dr. Fritz Haber and physicist Dr. Heinz Haber. They actually are brothers. <laughs> they were both brought over from Germany to the U.S. after World War II as part of something called Operation Paperclip. We actually talked about Operation Paperclip back in, and in my notes I wrote episode XXX. I cannot remember what episode this is. <laughs> <laughs> and Hannah came to the rescue. It's Fathers of Rocketry. Really quick, Operation Paperclip, which took place at the end of World War II, so we're looking at 1945-ish, in case you don't remember, because I can never remember, even though I've looked it up so many times for this podcast specifically, (laughs) (laughs) was a government program which brought scientists and researchers from predominantly Germany to the U.S. Essentially, they were trying to prevent them from going to the Soviet Union. What isn't great about this is a lot of these scientists were voluntarily members of the Nazi party, who were then granted amnesty by the U.S. in exchange for working for the government. A prominent example of this is Werner von Braun, who worked on the Saturn V. Oof. Yeah, bummer. It's really unfortunate. It's an icky part of history, but it happened. It's definitely an icky part of history. Yep. However, I do not know if either of the Haver brothers were associated with the Nazi party. I just know that they were scientists for the German government before coming to the U.S. That's all I know. And then what is also crazy is that in the 1950s, Heinz Haber, he's the physicist, became the chief scientific consultant for Walt Disney Productions. That's amazing. I was like scrolling through the Wikipedia page, just skimming through his life. And I was like, wait, Disney? I had to go back. Yeah. Going from reading about Operation Paperclip to then Walt Disney. (laughs) So he went on to host the Disney broadcast, Our Friend the Atom. Cute. Yeah. I don't know. So, (laughs) that happened. That's amazing. I love that. I love that a chief scientific consultant went on to create this. I know. He was a PhD in physicist who went on to be the chief scientific consultant for Disney. But back on topic, on October 21st, 1950, the Haber brothers published a paper titled Possible Methods of Producing the Gravity-Free State for Medical Research in the Journal of Aviation and Medicine. I found a PDF of this paper that I will link in the sources. It's actually an interesting paper, and it's not a terrible read to get through. It's not horribly difficult to read. It's a little tricky, but it's not nearly as bad as some papers I have attempted to read in the past. And they actually break down how parabolic flight could be used to simulate anti-gravity for for short periods of time. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, they figured that out in the 50s at a time when aircraft were definitely not all that advanced. Very cool. Yeah, I know. I was like, they figured that out really early. So then, not a lot happens. and My guess is it's because I don't even know if we had airplanes capable of achieving this. I don't know that for a fact, but that's my guess. I didn't see anything about this for years until we get to some guy named Shin Chung Wang. Shin Chung Wang was a Chinese-American medical doctor, neuroscientist, and pharmacology professor. So quite the list of titles there. Oh, yeah. Very impressive. He was born in China and moved to the U.S. after receiving a Rockefeller Foundation Fellowship in 1937. He then became an expert on the brain's stabilizing functions and was hired by NASA to study nausea in astronauts. 
He conducted early experiments with cats, and his research helped lead to the creation of NASA's infamous Vomit Comet. And then this is kind of unrelated, but I thought it was interesting. After his death in 1993, the New York Times wrote the following in his obituary. His research led to a fundamental understanding of motion sickness and the development of drugs to prevent vomiting and other adverse reactions. It also opened windows on other kinds of deviations from normal functions and led to effective countermeasures like drug therapy for hypertension. So he was a really impressive guy. Yeah, definitely. Being able to prevent nausea in zero-G research flights, that is huge. Yeah, that's actually a really big deal. So it's just a really cool field. How do you stabilize the brain? Right. Absolutely. It's like it prolongs the amount of research you can do when you're in a flight. As somebody who experiences car sickness, if you get really nauseous, you cannot focus on anything else. Completely. It is the worst feeling. You cannot think about anything else except about how nauseous you are and how you wish you were nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, think about if you were at least in a car, you can pull over and just step out of your car. But if you're in a zero G flight, there's oh, like no. 20 other people around you and you're nauseous parabola number three and you have 20 more to go. Tough luck. Like that is not going to work out. Oh, dude. No, thank you. Yeah. I'm getting anxious just thinking about that. <laughs> no, don't get anxious. <laughs> Deep breaths. Dr. Wang is an impressive guy, and as mentioned, with the help of his research, in 1959, NASA started the Reduced Gravity Program, which did exactly what the Habers described in their paper. It simulated weightlessness through parabolic flight. And as Henna and I have already mentioned, this was the birth of the Vomit Comet. Woo! The Vomit Comet is just a nickname given to the various planes that do these parabolic flights because it makes a lot of people nauseous. NASA flew zero-gravity flights on a variety of different aircraft for years. The Mercury astronauts, who the Mercury program were the first U.S. astronauts to go to space, trained in a C-131 Samaritan aircraft, which was the original Vomit Comet. There are a couple others, but in 1994, NASA acquired a KC-135A, this was a Boeing four-engine turbojet stratotanker that was designed for use as a military refueling aircraft. This particular plane was also used as a 707 for commercial flights for a while. This plane had a long life. Wow. NASA then modified it further to meet their needs. I'm not quite sure what they did to it, but I'm definitely imagining they removed all the seats. Well, most of the seats. Yeah. <laughs> they made a lot of changes. <laughs> and it... <laughs> In addition to flying experiments and training astronauts, this specific KC-135A was also used by Universal Pictures and Imagine Entertainment to film the microgravity scenes in Apollo 13. That's really awesome. Yeah, I didn't realize that Apollo 13 filmed them in one of these aircrafts. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. I would have assumed that would have been way too difficult. Yeah, which is probably why the movie looks so good, because they really were weightless. Yeah. Or they were simulating weightlessness. Mm -hmm. The film's director, Ron Howard, actually made arrangements with NASA such that they could use the plane for six months, which I don't even know how he <laughs> wriggled his way into that deal. <laughs> That's a good deal. Good for him. Yeah. Must have been expensive. <laughs> yeah, that was my first instinct. I was like, whoa. But it's a good movie. Uh-huh. So highly recommend. Unfortunately, this plane flew its last flight on October 29, 2004. It was used for so many things, including astronaut training, engineering experiments, and it provided more than 2,000 students the opportunity to test their experiments, which leads me perfectly into my next point. In addition to training astronauts and doing various experiments for NASA, 
NASA introduced the Reduced Gravity Opportunity Project in 1995. What this did was this project provided undergraduate students with the opportunity to fly and evaluate their experiment in a reduced gravity environment. So, Hannah, I'm assuming that's what you did, and that's how you got to do one of these flights. That's right. So when I was an undergrad, one of my friends approached me and said that we should start a team for that. And it was part of a program that was under this umbrella program of the Reduced Gravity Research Program. It was like a sub-program within this program that Anna just mentioned. (laughs) A layer within a layer. That's cool. As Hannah kind of already mentioned, students at universities all across the U.S. submit proposals to NASA detailing their experiment and what testing it in reduced gravity would allow them to learn. A specific experiment I was reading about, just to provide everyone with some information about what kind of experiments get tested, was conducted in 2010 by a student named Ryan Coder and his team from West Virginia University. The specific experiment Coder and the team were testing was the use of magnets and electromagnetic force to dampen propellant sloshing. This is actually a big deal. Propellant sloshing can cause a myriad of problems, and it's literally exactly what it sounds like. It's propellant sloshing around in the tank. (laughs) It can cause a myriad of problems, and it was actually determined to be the cause of the anomaly in the second test of the SpaceX Falcon 1. Slosh is not just a trivial issue. It can cause some serious problems. Definitely. And that's a really cool experiment to do on a zero-g flight. Yeah. I was like, I bet that was a really fun one to conduct. How cool. I know. According to the article I was reading, the group saw positive test results. However, I don't know if anything more ever came out of this, but it sounds like a really cool idea. Yeah, definitely. I wonder what their setup looked like. You know, I'm curious to go look at some pictures in their paper. Yeah, the article I was reading had no images. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bummer. I know. I was like, I'm a visual learner here, people. (laughs) (laughs) I would like an illustration, but that's okay. I, I didn't even occur to me that maybe I could try to dig into it more because you have you have his name. So maybe I'll do that. But I'm drinking coffee tomorrow morning. Mm, yeah, that sounds like a nice activity yeah. to go along with some coffee drinking. <laughs> Mornings and propellant slush. <laughs> Back to the plane itself. After its final flight, it was retired to the NASA Johnson Space Center. And it was then replaced with a McDonnell Douglas C-9B Skytrain 2 aircraft which had been previously owned by KLM Royal Dutch Airlines and the U.S. Navy. It made its debut in 2005 and flew for nine years until it was retired in July of 2014. And it was after this that NASA decided to end the reduced gravity program due to technical problems with the aircraft. However, don't worry, this was not the end of zero-g flights. We kind of spoiled this already, but Henna's going to go into that further. That's right. Anna, that was just such a great history. I learned so much. I had a lot of fun learning about the Haber brothers and their involvement with Disney. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. That and then filming Apollo 13 in a parabolic flight. What? Right? I was like, I kind of want to go watch that movie again. Yeah, just to like really appreciate those scenes even more. It's like, do you ever watch a movie and you don't really know who the actor or actress is and then you watch a bunch of other movies with them and you're like, wow, they were really good. I should go back and watch this first movie when I didn't know who they were to appreciate them more. (laughs) Does anybody else do that or is that just me? (laughs) No, I've done that. (laughs) All right. Hannah is going to talk to us a little bit more about the current state of Zero-G flights, but you want to take a little break? Yes, let's take a break. We'll be back, everyone. We'll be back.
right, everyone, we are back from the break. We have made it, and Hannah's going to bring us home with the current state of Zero-G Flight. That's right. I will be talking about the current happenings of parabolic flights. I am ready. All right. For this bit that I'm going to be talking about, I'm just going to be going through a couple of space agencies all over the world that are using parabolic flights for research. There are plenty more than my list is going to cover, but I picked and chose a few that were interesting to me. I can't say for certain that these space agencies are flying these planes and running these programs today. What I've read shows that they have been doing this recently. The first one is the Ecuadorian Civilian Space Agency. First of all, I did not know that Ecuador had a space agency. Oh, sorry. You first. (laughs) Were we we saying the same same thing? We were saying the exact same thing. (laughs) We're on the same wavelength today, people. We we really are. (laughs) We've been calling each other at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, we just tried to, like, call each other and it didn't work because we hit the button at exactly the same time. That's right. Okay, you first. All right. I guess Anna was also going to say this. Both of us were going to say that we did not realize that Ecuador had a civilian space agency. So very cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Mm-hmm. It was established in 2007. And within a year of being established, it started operating its first zero-G flights in collaboration with the Ecuadorian Air Force. Cool. Yeah. From the International Astronautical Federation website, the IAF website, it looked like they were still operating these research planes But there wasn't anything from the last few years that I could find explicitly. Gotcha. Another space agency that is close to us, the (laughs) Canadian Space Agency, has been using a Falcon 20, a French business jet for microgravity research. I thought that was really cool, that international collaboration. That is neat. Mm Mm-hmm. Another space agency is the European Space Agency, and it's using a number of planes for research, including NASA's KC-135 and an Aleutian 76, which was designed by the Soviet Union. They also used an Airbus A300, but it was recently replaced with a newer Airbus A310, formally named the Zero-G. Oh, did they change it because of what's coming up? I guess so. (laughs) Moving on to the U.S., Anna has already given us a beautiful history. Thank you. What I wanted to highlight was that in the U.S., the Zero Gravity Corporation was the first company to offer the Zero-G experience to the public. So that's really nifty, is that you don't have to be a part of a government research program to be able to experience weightlessness. Yeah, so they actually do do work with NASA to conduct experiments, but it's also open to everyday people who are willing to pay for it. Exactly. Well, they go by zero G a lot, which is why I made that comment earlier, wondering if that's why ESA changed that name. I didn't see specifically in that article, but I could also see that being the case, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, can't say for certain. What was really funny was that when I started my research for zero G for this episode, my social media ads immediately went from holiday shopping to <laughs> book a flight on a zero G plane. I was like, oh boy, if only. <laughs> so this is funny that you say this because the exact same thing happened to me. You get a flight <laughs> suit and everything. I'm like, I want to do this. That's pretty nifty, getting a flight suit, like getting to keep yeah. a flight suit. I was like, zero G, hit us up. <laughs> that would be amazing. It would be so fun. (laughs) So I went ahead and clicked on one of these ads. Oh my God, you clicked on the ad? (laughs) I did. I clicked on the ad. The (laughs) algorithms beat me. (laughs) I did not click on the ad. 
<laughs> I've clicked on ads for many other less useful things, but I did not click on that ad. <laughs> oh, so I was like, ah, for research. So I've learned that you can book a flight for about 6700 US dollars to experience weightlessness. So cool. that was pretty cool. Wow. That's awesome. And you get to keep your flight suit. And you get to keep your flight suit. I don't know what you do with it after, but I want one. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wonder. I think I'd probably just like get an obnoxiously large frame. Oh, that's an idea. <laughs> I was going to be like Halloween. I also thought about that one too. <laughs> I don't know. I like your framing idea better though. That was so interesting, Hannah. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, I just decided like, you know, let's just select a couple of the space agencies. I think that's important. We need to talk about more than just NASA. Yeah, that's a really great point, Anna. When I was looking through these, what I was amazed by is that there's just so many organizations all over the world working towards this effort of understanding microgravity research better and adding to that, you know, human knowledge base of information together. Thought that was really cool. Yeah, there's so much we still don't know about microgravity. Mm -hmm. Any research we can get on it is incredibly valuable. Definitely. All right. Anna, do you want to let people know where they can find us? Yes. I literally was like, wait, what do we normally do now? (laughs) (laughs) It's been too long. Yes. If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find our Facebook page, But It Is Rocket Science. You can check us out on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. You can check us out on Twitter at But It Is RS. And then if you liked this, if you want to learn more about us, if you want to shoot us an email with future episode topics or stuff you did or did not like, you can go to our website, but it is Rocket Science. You can, you can check out our Contact Us page. And then if you really like us and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it. Yes, please. We love all your reviews. They mean so much to us. They definitely do. And then if you're in the mood for a little bit more nerdy content, as promised in the last episode, I made a TikTok. I'm still figuring it out, and I'm definitely one of the oldest people on that app. (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. Dude, dude, (laughs) I called it Anna is Anxious, because I'm Anna and I have anxiety. That's awesome. Yeah. So please check out Anna's TikTok. Please. I'm having fun. I'm learning. Also, shout out to my mom, who, when I was home, held the phone for me and was served as my tripod. Oh, my gosh. That's so nice of her. It was really nice of her. Let's get into our sources. Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. The first article I used was an article from harvard.edu that I'll have linked in the sources. The second one was a journal article from Acta Astronautica by Carmali et al. titled The Dynamics of Parabolic Flight, Flight Characteristics and Passenger Percepts. And then I also used a Wikipedia article for reduced gravity aircraft. Nice. How about you, Anna? So I think I used the exact same Wikipedia article about reduced (laughs) gravity aircraft. (laughs) Nice. And then I also used that paper I mentioned by the Haber brothers, Possible Methods of Producing the Gravity-Free State for Medical Research. I used a Wikipedia page about Hans Haber. I also used a Wikipedia page about Dr. Sai Chung Wang. An article in the News Gazette to learn more about Dr. Wang. It actually focuses on his daughter, but it talks about him. Also, his daughter's a really cool woman. I used a Wikipedia page about the KC-135 Stratotanker. I just went to the GoZero website, the Zero-G website. I used a NASA page all about zero-gravity flights. And then I used the Wikipedia page for the Falcon 1. And that's it. Fabulous. Yeah, not too bad. Do you want to lead the closeout? I do. This is my favorite part. Until next time, space cadets, T-minus three, two, 
one liftoff. Lift off.